Okay, hello, welcome to episode 186 of Sack King's Therapy. Uh, I am very, I would actually like to start this episode by apologizing. I have lied to you. I had said last episode that uh, Fawn was going to join me and we were going to talk about the draft. We were going to talk about what's been happening uh, in the playoffs. We were going to talk about the Kings, uh, about their coaching search. Uh, unfortunately, Fong is not here today. Um, last minute kind of change. And uh, gonna bring you another solo one. Uh, sorry to disappoint you if you were here, here um, looking for Fong. He is not here. So, um, yeah, running solo again. Sorry for lying to you. I will try to make it up, I guess, next episode. But, like, you know, I said that, said that last episode, and, like, you know, why, why would you trust me at this point? But. Hopefully he is able to rejoin me uh, next episode. It's just been a bit chaotic uh, these past few days. So uh, hopefully he will be back. But until then, uh, we will not talk about the draft because there is no uh, I in we. There is no I in team. So yeah, it'd be just honestly kind of dry to just talk about the draft all by myself. Um, So... We will wait until he is back. So hopefully that is next episode and we can finally talk about Chet Holmgren. We can talk about Jabari Smith. We can talk about Paolo Benquero. So, all right. Anyways, let's get into this episode. Um, well, I want to do an episode before that, before the draft episode. I was hoping to actually like combine these topics that I'm going to go over, which is the Kings coaching search uh, and the playoffs, uh, the updates. Uh, and then also just kind of merge them into one episode because honestly the top three i'm not going to talk about that much just because like they're good good chance that the kings are not going to move in the top four and you're we're not going to have a chance at all to get those guys so i just want to talk about those guys like briefly um and not really dive into depth because you know not really a draft guy anyways like i'm mainly watch it for aggregate mainly watch from aggregators and reading sam bassini um so yeah the the basic i was going to combine those episodes together or yeah that episode and like this episode right now together but just gonna but since fong is not here again it'd just be weird to just talk about these prospects uh just again by myself uh so anyways let's finally get into it i think i've said that three times already i haven't gotten into it let's get into it okay Let's start with this. Kings uh, have moved on to their second round of interviews, which means that there are people that are out. The people that are out, Mike D'Antoni, Charles Lee, Darvin Ham, and uh, Will Hardy. So basically, um, all the young guys are out, and Mike D'Antoni is also out. The three that are left, uh, Mark Jackson, Mike Brown, and Steve Clifford. Um, a little bit uninspiring, I guess, is the word I keep seeing, and to a certain degree, I can kind of see why. I mean, I'm I'm pretty high on uh, Mike Brown, um, and I'm I'm okay with Steve Clifford. The Mark Jackson one is a bit confusing to me, and apparently confusing to a lot of people too. Um, but that, you know, I I really like would have loved. I've kind of talked myself, and you know, listening to James Hammond, everyone just a lot of people just talk about. Let's bring some youth. Let's bring a guy like Will Hardy. Let's bring a guy like Darvin Ham. Let's get bring a guy like Charles Lee, like a guy that had not been a head coach first, 
you know, give them a shot, see what they got. And, you know, if it works out, great. Like, you know, you have a young coach to, you know, that can grow with this, you know, relatively young team. And, you know, you can you can usher in the next era of possibly great Kings basketball. Of course, it could go the other way. Like, these guys are inexperienced. They don't know. They like they've been around the coaching area, but they haven't, you know, been a head coach, which is a whole nother animal all on its own. Right. So, you know, you, you just don't know. There's no track record really to go off of. They come from great organizations. But as I've said, those organizations have are built on great founda- foundations, you know, with stable front office for the most part. Like, you know, uh, Will Hardy comes from the Spurs and the Celtics, very stable front office for the most part. Um, you know, Bucks, pretty stable front office as far as I know for the Darvin Hammond, the Charles Lee. And like the, but the, the idea that, you know, they're going to just come to the Kings and bring that culture to the Kings always was a bit shoddy to me just because the Kings don't have a good foundation. They don't have a stable front office. They don't have a stable ownership. They don't have, you know, they don't have, you know, a history of winning. I and mean, granted, the Bucks have only recently been successful, but at least it's been at least there's like success there. The Kings haven't been to the playoffs in 16 years. There is no there is no culture here. There is no stability. And to to think that you know somebody's just gonna come in here and fix it right away, that's a pipe dream to say the least. Especially when you're talking about a young guy that has not done that coaching job yet. Sacramento has a way of crushing the spirits of great men, if you will. And, you know, like, again, no track record to go off of. You just didn't know what was going to happen. Like, they might come in, you know, uh, with a twinkle in their eye, like, with hope of, like, fixing this franchise. But Sacramento has a way of breaking people, and you you just don't know if they were able to handle it. Granted, this new crop of of guys, like Mark Jackson, Mike Brown, Steve Clifford, hell, even Mike D'Antoni, had he come, like, they have had coaching experience. There is a track record to go off of. But again, Sacramento has a way of breaking people. So who knows? But it's not the end of the world. The, la- the last three are pretty... They do... They bring a lot of intrigue as well. Like, they're, they're, they're a bit older, but like, you know, outside of Steve Clifford, he's not crazy old. Like, you know, 60 is the new 50, <laughs> as they like to say. Like... You know, it, it's I'm, you know. Let, let's not be ages here. Like, you know, they, if they if they think they're able to do the job, and if they have the supporting structure, again, questionable, questionable. But like, if they have the supporting structure around them, they should be able to do this job. And you know, like the, the this is this is again a relatively uninspiring, just because again, like youth always inspires like hope. Like, these guys are more kind of stable choices, if you will. The more safe choices. So a little bit uninspiring, these last these last three finalists. But these guys, you know, have a track track record of knowing what they're, what they're doing. Mark Jackson basically was one of the catalysts for turning around the Warriors. You think the Warriors have always been a great franchise? Um, you know, last decade, like before before Mark Jackson got there, they were right there, right down here with us in terms of shit franchises. And he he was one of the catalysts. Like he got those guys to play defense. He got a bunch of young young guys, a young team, a terrible organization at that point. Granted, they had just changed ownership. They hired Mark Jackson to basically usher in the new era of Warriors basketball. And he did a great job of turning that ship around and again, making them play defense. And the Kings need that type need that type of energy. Mike Brown, 
you know, has had a lot of success as a head coach. He's had a great stint of, I think, about five years uh, coaching LeBron in his first stint in Cleveland. And then and then after after he was let go, he joined the Lakers, had one good season, a decent season. They got to the second round before losing with Kobe. And then, of course, they fired him, I think, five games in the season, which pretty insane if you think about it. Like, we think it's a, we, a lot... You know, we thought it was insane when Luke Walton kind of got fired 17 games in the season. They fired him five games in the season. Like, literally just didn't even bother to give him a chance. Like, that that was wild. And, you know, then he had a he had a pretty bad um, bad stint, a second stint with Cleveland with a young Kyrie, young Tristan, I think young Tristan Thompson as well. And, uh, like, uh, but apparently, like, he got more wins than what they were projected to get. So... And also very highly ranked on defense as well during that season. And every stop Mike Brown's been at, they've been pretty solid defensively. And then he's been an assistant coach with the Warriors. You know, a very good defense. So, like, he's got a lot of experience behind his belt, under his belt. And, you know, definitely is the most experienced and the winningest coach on this on this finals list. Steve Clifford. Now, the record is not great. But you look at the, you look at the roster, you, rosters he was given, like... You're talking like Kemba Walker. You're talking about Jeremy Lane. You're talking about Al Jefferson. He got that team to play to get to 56 wins. Like, it was pretty, like, was it 50? It was somewhere in the 50s. I remember they were, like, pretty deadlocked, like, in the top of the East. But, like, he got that team over 50 wins and, like, so, and, like firmly in the playoffs and just about upset the Heat in the first round. Like, he, I mean, I just list out three guys that, like, like, come on, don't play, don't play much defense. And he got that team to a top 10 defense. So good on him for doing that. And Orlando Magic. You have Evan Fournier. Terrible defender, as the, as Nick fans have found out. Um, Nick Vucevic. Not a defender. Not a good rim protector. Got that team. He got that team to play defense as well. So the theme of these three guys, they, they coach defense very well. What have the Kings not done well these past 16 years? Defense. Right? They were top 20 twice. And one time... And once they were, I think, yeah, during Luke's first year, 19th on defense. And then I forgot which year, but they were ranked 20th, exactly 20th in defense. This team does not play defense in, in the 16 years. It's missed the playoffs. And it's a big thing. And, you know, I, I you honestly, I'm, I'll admit it. I used to be a guy that, like, you know, leaning on offense. The best defense sometimes is just making the guy take, making the other team take the ball out of the net. But... In, in, over the course of a long regular season, you need to play defense. Defense, you know, sets a certain floor for you and gives you a, a bit more consistency. Because offense, as definitely this team has shown, and a lot of teams have shown, does come and go. And primarily three-point shooting. And, you know, defense, defense gives you a level of stability. And over the course of regular season, you need to be, be at least solid on defense to be able to have a chance of making the playoffs anymore. You need stars, of course. You need shooting, but you definitely need a defense to set a stable foundation for something for you to work off of, and that's what these three coaches bring. That would be my case, my best case. That is basically one of the best cases for the for the group of these three. And you know, again, uninspiring, sure, like not huge names outside of like Mark Jackson, but it's not the it's not the worst idea the, the pro, you can see a sort of you can understand their thinking with these three and it's i think like you know these guys could be the guys to turn around who knows we'll have to see 
Um, like my choice would be Mike Brown out, out of these three, and then Steve Clifford, and then Mark Jackson, number three. But like, th- this team needs to learn how to play defense. They need somebody to bring in to just yeah again instill a good defensive philosophy, and just ha- hopefully the offense should come with them with you know De'Aaron Fox, who hopefully will have a bounce back year, and Sabonis kind of like setting up everyone being kind of a main hub that you can op- that you can run a good offense through. But what this team has been missing is defense, and they hope to address that with uh, their coach and hopefully part of the roster as well. So we'll see how that goes. Um, just to quickly kind of go over like some more my not minute details, but like more detail notes that I've taken over the past few days about these coaches. Um, so Clifford has already interviewed. He's interviewed the, his second round. Uh, he interviewed Sunday and today, which which I'm recording was on a Monday night. Um, Jackson will be up next. It doesn't specifically say like when he'll be interviewed. Um, Mike Brown will be uh, interviewed later this week because he is in the playoffs right now uh, against the Grizzlies. That's a that's a that was a fun game one by the way. I'll be talking about that a little bit later. Apparently they will be interviewing him uh, in both most most likely. I don't think it definitively said like they'll meet him in San Francisco and Sacramento. But oh uh, yeah, I need to mention all these coaches will be interviewed in person. In Sacramento, and with the exception of Mike Brown, who they might have to meet in uh, San Francisco. Um, another note I have: Vivek was not involved in the first round of interviews, and uh, th- there was a report that came out that Vivek was impressed by Mark Jackson. Let's get into the Mark Jackson stuff, okay? Look, the personal stuff is the personal stuff. The off-the-court stuff, like, it, it's controversial. He's, you know, a pastor who apparently at one point had an affair, you know, g- giving him kind of a re- reputation of a guy that, you know, doesn't really practice what he preaches. You have the, you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff where, in, with the Warriors, where, you know, him leaving, after he left the organization, Joe Laker basically just came out and said, yeah, nobody in the organization liked him. There's 200 employees in the organization, and none of them like him, apparently. There's something along those lines. You know, he has a reputation of being quite the asshole. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't know how many of you guys are on Twitter, but there are a lot, there are a lot of, you know, there are stories out there about just, you know, him back in the day, and like, you know, when Stockton's final year as, as the Jazz, uh, you know, Mark Jackson kind of po- tried to politic his way into becoming the starting point guard over John Stockton and started spreading fake rumors about him and Stockton was really hurt by that. That is asshole behavior right there. That is a slimy prick and you just, you know, just, he's not, he doesn't seem to have the greatest character and then you have you have the stories with the Warriors where the Festus Azili stuff where he made Festus Azili cry by spreading lies about him, about Festus Azili wanting the team to lose. Now, I have heard, like, the, that report is unconfirmed, and apparently they're on good terms, but there are stories like that out there. And then there's the uh, the weird pastor stuff, the anti-LGBT stuff, and, you know, he's, he's, he's a tricky personality. Like, there's definitely a lot of smoke, and there definitely is fire. Like, he is a controversial figure to have, especially for the Kings, because of a lot of the Kings' is, uh a lot of the kings is you know social justice stuff like you do a lot of that stuff and you hire mark jackson who is quite clearly you know anti-lgbt it's not good that stuff isn't good and it, it flies in the face of your social justice stuff so you know just just on top of that like that would just be a crazy hire to me 
And then you have the coaching stuff, and James Ham brings up a good point. He doesn't have that much uh, experience coaching. He's been a head. Co- he was a head coach. Um, you know that for that basically turned around the Warriors. But it's a grand total of about three full seasons of NBA coaching. Mike Brown coached from 05 to 2010, and then got the Lakers job. So that for like two, well, one seat, basically one and one and one season and seven games. Like, and then like he's been an assistant coach ever since. That's almost ten. That's what ten. And I can't do the quick math in my head, but like you know, that's almost ten years of experience. I think right there, if not more. And then Steve Clifford has been a lifer. He's like been an assistant coach forever. And he finally got a gig with the Charlotte Hornets and the uh, Orlando Magic. And then he was a consultant this year uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. You know, that is, you know, a, a lot of experience as well. You know, coaching, coaching. And Mark Jackson just, you know, with he has the three years as the head coach. And then, and then he's been a broadcaster. So, like, he just doesn't have a lot of experience being a head coach. And he's been gone since 2014. The game has changed. And he is, he, sure, he's been a broadcaster. He sees the game. But, like, you know, you haven't been, you know, coaching. So, like, it, it brings a lot of his coaching acumen into question, if you will. And, you know, I, I, again, he tur- he really did get, he really built the foundation for the Warriors to become a championship team by just, you know, making them play defense the way they did. It, that's why it was such a smooth transition right to Steve Kerr, who, you know, worked a lot on the offense. But the carryover of the defensive principles that was instilled to them by by Mark Jackson carried over and that was big and you know like he's got he's got some bright spots but I did feel like he had a ceiling with just you know the offense that he ran and of course like you know the Kings haven't been in the playoffs forever like what are we talking about ceiling about you know but at the same time like it's he's he's got enough drawbacks to me where I just wouldn't consider him but he is in the finalist and he very he has a very good chance of becoming a, a head coach. Uh, Mark Stein came out basically saying he this is the best chance he'll have at becoming a head coach, you know, in a while, essentially. And you know, it's hard to separate the off court stuff with the on court stuff. The on court stuff is you know there's good, there's bad, but <laughs> oh, bless me. Okay, sorry about that sneeze, but you know the. The, there's a lot there's, there's a lot there's a lot of bad but there's also a lot of good and it's up to you whether you want to like whether you think the bad outweighs the good it's just that i think you have it you you have this debate over just mark jackson and guys like mike brown and steve Clifford simply don't have those kind of off-court reputations and honestly probably are better coaches than mark jackson but i can't say that for sure but like I'd rather just go with Steve Clifford and Mark Jack or Mike Brown. It's just kind of where I'm staying at. Now, the one case where I guess I'm okay with Mark Jackson being coach is that Monty is the, Monty is the one that is 100% behind him. It is a it is 100% a Monty hire, and that the players want him because honestly, that's the, that's kind of the most important thing. The players want him to be the coach, especially the stars. If Sabonis wants him to be be the coach, if Fox wants him to be the coach. You kind of have to re- uh, requiesce to the, the players' demands, I guess. Granted, you, we can have the debate of like, do you want to turn your franchise over to, to the players? Probably not. They've not brought us a lot of success. But you want to keep Sabonis happy, and you know Sabonis, 
you know, if he wants Mark Jackson, I hate to say it, I'm shrugging right now. You gotta hire Mark Jackson. <laughs> That's just how that is how shit works. Okay. Um, I won't talk. I guess like you know the other coaches again, defensive minded, have you know have have been around, and I think they could do some good stuff with it with this uh, with with this roster. We'll just have to see what this roster is. Um, by the by the start, basically by the middle of the offseason after free agency to really get an idea of what to expect. As of right now, you know, the, the Kings are focused on defense and I am very happy, you know, with two out of the three options. And uh, we'll see how it turns out. Um, uh, just a little, just a few more things on my notes. Uh, so yes, Dumars apparently will be taking a... Uh, VP of Basketball Operations, I think it's Executive VP of uh, Basketball Operations for the NBA. So he will be leaving the Kings organization. Apparently his contract had expired, and uh, apparently the main reason why he was leaving was that um, he wanted not sole control, but he wanted he wanted like you know more direct control. Apparently is the is the note I have uh, here. He wanted more direct control over the front office. For, Basically, he wanted he wanted to be above Monty McNair in, in, in that pecking order, and Monty would be reporting to him. As of well, but before he resigned, uh, before he took the uh, NBA job, the I think they were on equal level. They were just you know multiple voices and just kind of kind of like equal power, if you will. But uh, Dumars wanted you know direct control again, probably just be the. The head of basketball operations, I think, is kind of I guess how I would describe it. But Vivek uh, disagreed with him, and apparently that's one of the main reasons why he uh, Dumars has taken the job uh, with the NBA. I mean, I don't know really what to say about Dumars because we don't know anything about him. <laughs> he he was apparently the chief strategy op- officer. Um, whatever the hell that means, who knows? But apparently, according to Sam Bebe, it was a very vague uh, title. But he had a lot. But the reality was, was he was he had a lot of influence behind the scenes, and he wanted more influence. And Vivek wouldn't give it to him. And now he has decided, you know, he's not going to renew his contract, and that you know the Kings are not going to renew his contract, and he is going to join um, the NBA, like I guess the NBA office. I should probably specify. So. I mean, like, I kind of, I, I have a bit of mixed feelings about this. Like, again, we don't even know what Dumars did there, but I guess it's finally a good thing to kind of put this, the, this uh, saga to rest because I had said, I think I've said it on the podcast before, like the way that the front office was structured, I still felt there was a lot of the Kangsiness of the past one, since, basically since um, Beck has purchased the team, there's still a lot of Kangsiness left in this organization particularly with the shadow gm that kind of was joe dumars <laughs> like james ham always talks about like you know the vet kind of lets these nefarious people with nefarious intent with power hungry people that that you know kind of get into get into his ear or get influence within the organization and they and you know he doesn't he doesn't get them out before they go too far essentially and like you know, not not saying like you know Joe Dumars is an evil person or like you know had had bad intentions, but he was a guy that wanted to control this team, and 
he had a he just he was he, he, he had a title but like it wasn't very clear what he was and it you know at, at any point it felt like he could totally usurp Monty McNair as kind of like the head of the front office and and you know basically be the shadow GM and you know create chaos within the front office and you know for better or for worse like the Vex said no like you're you know I don't I'm not comfortable giving you control or whatever he said and now you know I we don't we don't know of any other possible shadow like some other people that are in the Vex ear but like now it's more clear that probably most likely Monty McNair is in charge of the front office so now you take that factor out of kind of just out of the equation it's going to be Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox and hopefully they have a harmonious relationship and then you know again just like no more kind of like as James Hamm d- described it, and I can't think of another analogy there's no more there's no there's no more little finger behind the scenes hopefully Wes Wilcox isn't that guy or if there's someone else within the organization who's like that but now we can kind of put to rest the worry that there is going to be nefarious stuff going behind the scenes and power hungry power grabs um and just more chaos so yeah um Joe Dumars resigns and hopefully this is a good thing and hopefully like Monty McNair is here for the long haul because there have been talk lately that his contract might be expiring soon there's it's not confirmed or anything this is speculation but you know like hope like Monty McNair has seemingly he seemingly he definitely does seem to know what he's doing and you know we we do have I, I mean at least I have I have a certain level of trust I've, I'm comfortable with him making decisions and he seems to be the right guy going forward. Has he made mistakes? Sure, but he's been good, I think, for the most part. And I'm comfortable with moving up, moving ahead with just with him and Wes Wilcox. They seem to have done a great job. So, you know, again, less less you know less cooks in the kitchen. Let's have a more centralized uh, power power structure. Of, you know, honestly, a bit more of a normal power structure. And hopefully, you just Vivek just lets the basketball people do basketball things. And that that means letting Monty McNair choose his coach, uh, letting Monty McNair, you know, do the trades and just handle the basketball stuff. And Vivek just, you know, signs off on stuff. That that is the dream. And we'll see if that is the case with uh, going forward, because this is a big offseason. The Kings have to get this right. If not, they are going to be they're going to be sending the team back really, really far back, a few years back. So, yeah. Okay, uh, with the coaching search um, continuing, uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, let's talk about uh, the playoffs, our second topic. Um, stuff has happened since the last episode. Um, so I'm just going to quickly go over some stuff. I have some thoughts. I wanted to talk to Fong about this one as well, but chances are he probably hasn't watched a lot of these games and um, probably just... Yeah, I probably doesn't care for a lot of them, to be honest. But I care a little bit, so I want to talk about it, because I have some opinions. Okay, so uh, the Mavericks beat the Jazz in six games uh, off a missed open three-pointer from Boyan Bogdanovich that would have won the game and taken the game to a Game 7 in Dallas. The Jazz are probably done, this version of the Jazz. Because reports have come out 
that um, basically Donovan most likely wants out. He probably doesn't want to be in Utah anymore. There's even another report that I read, granted on Twitter, from a sort. I mean, he had a blue check mark, but I, I don't know if he's actually a real, like, if he has real insider information. But basically, Go- Gobert apparently says it's either me or Donovan, which is hilarious. And I. Utah chooses Gobert over Donovan. They're fucking idiots. <laughs> but, well, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of Gobert. I just think, like, if, you're, if I'm picking between the two, bye, Rudy. I know he's probably one of the best defend, best defenders of all time. But I'm sorry. You, you gone. <laughs> I'm, I'm going with Donovan. Um, like, um, yeah, so let, let's talk about that final shot. Um, some people were saying, like, oh, he should have drove him for a layup. No, that was a great shot. He... He normally makes that, um, and but he happens to miss it, and uh, yeah, it's un- it's unfortunate. And yeah, the the Jazz, I mean, just it, it's it's really unfortunate how the things have just kind of played out. I'll, I'll, I'll defend Rudy on defense. Sure, he was like he was like pretty badly abused the series. It is a, against a very specific kind of matchup, but like I mean, it's they're going to run into these kinds of teams in the playoffs, like. You know, the Clippers, like, were one of the only teams that could have done what they what they did. Like, spread out the floor, five out, no centers, just, come, just you know, basically pulling Rudy Gobert from the rim. And, sure, they, they're prob- they were probably the only team in the playoffs that could have done that. The issue is, you were going to run into a team in, in the playoffs like that anyways. And probably last year, they probably would have been smoked by, smoked by uh, the Phoenix Suns because... Guess what? They're going to have Rudy switch on to. Well, they're gonna they're they're gonna drop, or the Jazz are gonna drop, and Chris Paul will feast on mid-range shots. Devin Booker would feast on uh, mid-range shots, and also like they probably and at sooner or later they were gonna get Rudy switched on to him, and then it's, it's time to eat. But um, like the the issue with the Jazz is not primarily on Rudy. There, Rudy is Rudy does cause some problems. Like with just playing one way, I believe, like I believe it's part of the coaching. They just refuse to adjust because, like, the thing is, I think Rudy Gobert is actually a decent switch guy. Like he can defend the perimeter decently well for a big man. Honestly, the the issue is the scheme. Like they they don't have guys rotate. Like last year, Terrence Mann was being guarded by Rudy Gobert, and when Terrence Mann was open, you could have a guy, you know, rotate towards him. And then have have enough trust in your defense to be able to rotate. Instead, they just left him open. Rudy Gobert probably won't contest, and you know he left some open threes. The, I think I, but the point I'm trying to say, I'm kind of rambling off, but the idea is that I think Rudy is fine on defense. The issue with Rudy is on offense. That fucker cannot catch the ball. That fucker has no touch around the rim. He has no post moves, and he is for the most part a liability on offense and part of it is like his teammates won't pass him the ball but like yeah those hands are bad like there there was one play late late in game six where you know donovan finally passes him the ball but he fumbles it and you know granted he ended up dunking the ball pretty powerfully nicely but like he doesn't he cannot catch the ball like that's an issue like you know you're being guarded by dorian finney smith and and they just ha- and your teammates have no trust that you can catch the ball. They have no trust that you can actually take advantage of that matchup with, say, offensive rebounds or, you know, again going into the post. 
he's just really bad on offense and that is something you just have to deal with and again there is there is issue with like the guards just not trusting him at all it seems but like the issue with him is on offense and like him not being able to abuse those matchups him not being able to play those teams off the floor you know in two straight series now like it may there is a ceiling with him until like he could get better on offense that this is going to be a problem. The defense, again, I think he can work in a scheme that doesn't exclusively have him drop. Like, if he can switch, if he can build in some, you know, some uh, switching, some switching, some rotations. Hell, you, if you can get better defenders around him. Because, man, yes, that, that, that perimeter defense was really bad, uh, like, with the rest of the team. Like, you have a bunch of 3 and D guys that don't, that don't play D. You have a bunch of 3 guys. And, like, you just get, like, one or two defensive wings. Like, Harrison Barnes would have been good for them. Like, James Ham said, like, Rashawn Holmes would have been good to, good for them. The issue with that is that they were never going to, like, take Gobert off the floor. And, you know, the spacing is just going to die there. Like, they were just never... That was never the option. So, like, you know, Harrison Barnes would have been great, but Joe Ingles got injured. So, that wasn't an option anymore after that. So, you, you just, I don't... So, yeah, I, I don't know where they go from here. They're probably going to have to trade one of the two. I know what which one I'm going with, but there's even talks about Donovan just straight up not wanting to be there. Maybe he is the one that gets moved, but like it, it's it's talk about a fall from grace. I, I didn't I didn't believe in them last year just because you know honestly just hating on the Jazz, but like yeah from, from like you know all the analytics guys like basically saying the Jazz are the team to just completely falling flat on their face like this. It, it's it's a pretty big fall from grace. I'll just say. But, um, yeah, in terms of what they're going to do, I don't, I don't know. Um, but, like, I just think, you know, well, uh, let's bring this back to the Kings. Um, should the Kings explore a Mitchell or Gobert trade? Uh, for Mitchell, I'll, I'll listen, but I don't think anything will get done there just because you are going to have to give a box and, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm, I'll always be a believer in Fox as long as he's on this team. And... You know, this has shown, like, it, I mean, like, Mitchell's, Mitchell's definitely the better player, don't get me wrong, over Fox, but at the same time, like, how much? Like, De'Aaron's a, De'Aaron's a really good finisher, um, and is a better finisher than, um, be- better finisher than uh, Donovan. I was actually shocked he wasn't, like, as good of, he wasn't, like, great at, like, finishing around the rim. I thought he was, but, like, De'Aaron's better, but, like, you know, Donovan can shoot. That's a big, that's a big help. Um... So, you know, it, like, you know, you put Donovan on the King, on this Kings team, it probably, this team is probably better, but at the same time, I'm not sure if I'm willing to give up, say, draft picks to get Mitchell. Probably should, I probably should be willing, because, like, Donovan is a proven star. I think he's, you know, he is, he's, he's a killer, and I think, I think he is a very good player, and probably better than Fox, but I think Fox is a killer as well, and if you can put a really good team around him, you can make, you can make him just as good as Donovan, I think. Gobert would be an interesting would be an interesting trade target if we didn't trade for Sabonis. That's the issue. I just don't think you can. I don't think you can have spacing you know, if, if that's the case. Like Sabonis is a fine three point shooter, but he's definitely a guy you probably don't have to guard out there. Like let's be honest. And you know Gobert kind of mucks up things down low just because he you know he doesn't shoot. They've found ways to work around it. He's a vertical spacer, but like it's I don't see it working. Um, and then, like, you know, you're gonna have, um, DeMontis, Garth Force, that's not exactly, 
a great option by any means. Um, yeah, I, I don't see a Gobert trade. I don't see a Mitchell trade, but it is something we should explore. Maybe you can explore like Jordan Clarkson or, you know, um, honestly, Boyan Bogdanovich. Like, see, see, like, see what his price is. He he would be a good like you know three four option type. Um, you would have to give up something, and I don't know what I would give up, like Rashawn Holmes probably. But like, if they don't need, a, they don't really need a Rashawn. But I don't know. But we'll, we'll see about that. Um, yeah, fall from grace. Jazz have to trade one of their guys, and they got to blow it up. Like, let's see what they probably have to trade Mike Conley too, because this is just that's the unfortunate thing about a guy like Mike Conley, who's he's a, he's a good player, but he's often he's just injured, and he's always gonna be he's just always gonna be injured. I guess like he's just never gonna be healthy, and it's just one of those things they had they rested him throughout the season, and he still ended up being. He just still ended up, you know, being in, being like, you know, a sh- seemingly a shell of himself. Like there were reports he wasn't healthy. He didn't look like himself. But it's like, we rested you already, man. Like, when are you going to be healthy? I, it's just never going to happen, unfortunately. Okay, uh, moving on. Grizzlies beat the Wolves. Um, you know, good, like great on the Wolves. Like I, I wish the Kings were in their position. They had nothing to lose. They honestly probably should have won the series had they not blown those leads. Um, like they showed a lot. There's a lot to be desired. There's a you know they still have to learn. Um, they're a young. They're you know relatively young team. Like yeah, yeah they're a young team. Like they're, they're about the Kings' age, but like you know just a lot more successful. Like you know just ha- just being able to make it to this point is a, is a huge accomplishment for them and they have and you know they, they shouldn't hang their heads on this they, they need to build off of this they need to build off this momentum don't let it go to waste um and you know find a way to hold on to leads because they built leads in just about every game it feels like at least they built a game in, they built a lead in game five built a lead in game six blew both of them and just you know and then they had what a lead in what game two or three i don't remember it was they blew two 25 point leads like again, they 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 kind of caught this Grizzlies kind of off guard. They kind of this Grizzlies team off guard a little bit, if you will. Just who I guess like Grizzlies underestimated them, but like they had chances to win this series, and you know Grizzlies just kind of show their grit, if you will. And like you know they have an they have an established star uh, in Ja, and like their role players came through, and so ultimately like they they kind of just showed that. Like basically, the Grizzlies showed their edge and experience because they were they won that play-in game last year, and then they also like got one game from the Jazz um, when they didn't have Mitchell. So like you know they they basically out they basically outplayed them, um, and you know like Grizzlies look a little vulnerable. I mean they lost the Warriors. I'll talk about that in a bit, but like they're a young team too, and they were trying to figure it out, and you know they just kind of just got punched in the mouth they ultimately retaliated but it did look very shaky for a bit and let's see what happens going forward i'll talk a little bit about car on the towns because what what would what would a podcast from owen be and talk about the timberwolves if he doesn't shit on cat <laughs> like cat is one of the legitimately most talented big men in the league i think in history as well nobody can really shoot like him he is the best shooting big man i think of all time now, he, well, he's going to be, he, he's fighting Dirk for that title. He, but, like, the mental aspect of him is just so bad. Like, he, like, I, I talked about in game five. Like, why in the hell were you that close to, you know, was it Kyle Anderson? 
a guy that doesn't shoot that many threes. Like, and he's who's 30 feet away. And why are you not just not closer to the rim? The instincts are not there. The defensive instincts just aren't there. And then you just have kind of the boneheaded plays that he does. Boneheaded shot, the terrible shots that he takes sometimes. Like, not being a guy that commands, like, the ball. Like, say, like, again, you had Dylan Brooks on you. A guy a good seven inches shorter than you. And you don't go to the post and say, give me the damn ball. Oh, no, no, D'Lo, no, no, you you attack somebody, okay? Like, uh, that's fine. No, you de- you should demand the ball. Like, you're the, you're the, I think the oldest, well, I mean, I think, you're, I think he's the same age as D'Lo, actually, but, like, it's, he, he's the best, he definitely is the most talented player on that team, and he should demand, he should play like it. Instead, he does dumb shit, and, st- and like, just, you know, kind of, like, sh- shrinks in the moment, if you will, just doesn't make the right plays, and he's, he's not a superstar. That's just, that's just what I'll say about him, and... I don't know what they like. Say they were talking about like possibly trading D'Lo this offseason, or they should like the reports. I think executives like said they should explore trading D'Lo. Honestly, I mean I'm not saying like I would trade Cat first, but like they should explore trading Cat. He's not the guy. Um, I, I'm probably way lower up on him than anybody else, but like he's just, he's not the guy. And look, he he's been through a lot. I respect him a lot as a person. He, I can't imagine what he's gone through, but I'm I'm criticizing him as a basketball player. He's just not a guy that, you know, I don't think, I think he, I think he holds them back. Like the defensive issues with him, the shot making, just, he doesn't have the, he's not a winner. He's just not. And it's, it's a, it's a thing I think that will, you know, hold them back. And, you know, I mean, they should explore trading him and of course explore trading D'Lo, but like, I won't go as crazy as say I would trade Cat first. But Cat should be on the table for trade talks if you really want to improve this team. But, like, they're, they're in no rush to really blow it up. Like, they got to build on this momentum and see what they can do. And good on good on you guys, Timberwolves. And good on you, Grizzlies. You're, you're, you've arrived, and now you take on the Warriors, and let's see how you respond in Game 2. Um, Embiid was, uh, for, let's go to the Sixers. Embiid was out, was out for Game 1, and he's going to be out for Game 2, too. Like, so, um, the Sixers came in a pretty play, and, you know, put in a pretty good fight. But uh, the main thing I saw was a lot of DeAndre Jordan. And yeah, Doc Rivers, he's done. He's just, he's he's fucking done. Like trying, it seems like <laughs> he's just basically saying like people who criticize him for playing DeAndre Jordan. He basically just tells him to shut up. He's like, you know what? You know what? My players like D- DJ out there. I like DJ out there. I don't give a damn what any media, any fans think. I'm gonna play DJ, and I, I'll I'll. Look, I'm not a fan of DJ. I didn't even think he was good. In, I didn't think I didn't even think he was good back when he was on in his prime on the Clippers. Like I always thought his success was like 90% predicated on Chris Paul. Um, and like I've never understood the obsession with him. Like the Dallas Mavericks went for him twice, and the second time I don't even know why they went after him. The dude fucked you over <laughs> the first time. You shouldn't do business with this dude. But and then people just keep like play. and like dog this is the one of the worst kind of old head things that i hate about you know older coaches they will stick to a they will stick to a guy now they always say like they'll play the veterans over the young guy because the young guy will make mistakes they'll they just don't know what they're doing yet and if you play the vet they'll make less of these mistakes and like they'll just be solid but the reality is the, the vets make make mistakes too and like they get a lot more leeway than the young guys and it's not fair 
but I get it, like, the, the old, the veteran has kind of built up a reputation and he deserves the benefit of the doubt, but sometimes the vets just aren't good, and you just have to just concede the fact, play the young guy, live with the mistakes, and hopefully he brings you more positives than the negatives, because when you play a vet, a lot of times they don't have that upside at all, and like, you know, it's, if they're not doing anything good, and sure, they might not be hurting you, but they're hurting you a little bit with some of the stuff they did. You might as well play the young guy just to get a little bit more upside, is what I'll say. <laughs> yep, Doc is pretty much done. I think I think he's gone after the season because they ain't winning the championship. So, <laughs> uh, so and especially with this MB thing, yeah, there's probably no chance. Um, you know, Miami just kind of did their thing. Um, you know, they, they didn't have Lowry this game, but like, you know, they, I mean, they have their own issues. Uh, but we'll this. This series won't be. This series won't really start. I think until either the. Well, it'll be over if the Heat go up three one. But I don't think it really starts until uh, we get Joel back. And game one, like, you know, like the Sixers kind of stuck in there for a little bit. They just can score consistently from three. Um, let's see. Let's see what happens. Like, you know, next game. Like, can can the can the Sixers steal one? And then, like, you know, once you if you can steal a game. Like you go, you go back to Philly. If Joel can come back in Game Three, that's big. So we'll see. Um, okay, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Warriors and Grizzlies Game One. Really good game. I did. I, I mean, I, look, I'm a Warriors fan. I'm a little biased in this way, but at the same time, I thought the refs were so biased against the Warriors. I thought the Grizzlies got so many of the benefit of the doubt calls. Now, granted, a lot of it was because the Warriors were running small and they were trying to be as physical as possible with guys like Jared Jackson. But like, it just felt like so many calls went went the went the uh, went against the Warriors. Like, you know, the the sixth foul or the the charge that um, Dylan Brooks drew on Steph Curry. How that was not overturned, I have no clue because like Dylan Brooks is clearly moving. He's still like he's leaning, which I thought was that was like the smoking gun. But instead, it is not, and it, it ends up, you know, being a turnover on Curry, and it would have been Dylan Brooks' six. I didn't get that. And then, of course, let's talk about the Draymond, the Draymond flavor. I have a bit of a hot take. I'll save it. I'll actually save it for. Uh, I'll actually save it for when Fong gets back. But what I'll say about that flagrant foul, I, it, it's definitely a flagrant foul. Was it a flagrant two? Yes. With how flagrants have been officiated that is definitely what he did was definitely a flagrant too sure sure you can argue about what you want about like how he you know hit him in the face the first time and it wasn't intentional but the jersey grab that was that was honestly some dirty shit like that was some dirty shit and well maybe not dirt maybe dirty is a bit extreme dangerous play the way he yanked his jersey and yanked him down that could have been really dangerous but i'll say this that is what I believe a flagrant one should be. I think it's a flagrant one. I don't think it should have been a flagrant two. Although with how flagrants have been called, I think that it's fair enough that that's a flagrant two. Because again, that was very dangerous when he did pulling Brandon Clark like that. And sure, he tried to help him up and stuff, but that's 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 the theatrics. I'm sorry. Like you, you yanked the dude down, and he really could have gotten hurt there. I thought, but like again, that is what a flagrant. I like. You know, I guess I'm not really an old head per se. I'm still relatively young. Like, if I was like a 90s guy, if I was like an 80s guy, like hard fouls all day, Charles Oakley style, that is what a flagrant should be. A flagrant one should be. 
you know, he there was definitely there was definitely a lot of extra with that play. And he didn't have to like again, he didn't have to yank him down. We fouled him the first time. It's fine. That's a good hard foul in the olden days. But like him yanking him like that, that's a flagrant one. I don't think it should have been a flagrant two. I think I think it's you just don't you know the guy ended up not getting hurt which was good but again a, a bit dangerous but this is playoff basketball man you gotta you gotta have some leeway and to be fair it is draymond like he's, he gets a lot of leeway anyways i don't i, I don't think it, it should have been a flagrant two is it a flagrant two yes according to how flagrants are normally called and i'll also go back to the timberwolves game late in that game Colin Denny towns gets a flagrant one called on him for you know trying to go for the block but just kind of just just Bait just you know ended he ended up hitting Brandon Clark on the head and then getting a flagrant one. That should that, yes that's a flagrant one by the letter of the law with how they've been calling it. Yes, it's a flagrant one. Hit him in the head. There's no real argument on that. It should not be a flagrant one because I don't think it was a dirty play. Because that like sure he hit him on the head, but you know everyone's cool. Everyone's cool. You don't need to call the flagrant. So. I, like, I think it should have just been a common foul. I think it's stupid. I think it honestly is kind of stupid how you just kind of gift. You essentially gift the other team, like, free throws. And sure, sure, Cat was stupid to end up hitting him on the head. But, like, I don't really know what he was supposed to do there. Like, I'll, I'll give I'll give Cat some credit. Like, he tried to go over the block and just ended up kind of catching Brandon Clark on the head. I don't, I don't think it should have been a flagrant. I think it should have just been a common foul. Two free throws, cool. You know, next possession. But, you know, with the, with the Draymond stuff, like... Yeah, it's a flagrant two. I don't think he should have gotten ejected for it. That, that's my take on it. And, you know, it kind of clouded what was a really good game. And, like, the fact that Warriors won down the stretch, like, honestly, they should have... They, I think they should have destroyed the Grizzlies down the stretch because they, I think I counted three wide-open threes in crunch time that the Warriors just missed from Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, of all people. And Klay Thompson tried to gift-wrap them by missing two free throws somehow. He's always one of the weirdest guys I've ever watched in that whenever I watch him, he he just doesn't play well. It's one of those weird things. Like, I know he's, like, one of the best shooters of all time. I just remember always watching him and just never seeing him make shots. It's one of those weird things. Anyways, he ran, he just weirdly misses two free throws. But, like, they managed to get the stop on the other end. This was a big loss for the Grizzlies, and they got to come out strong in game two. They lose game two, is done. Um... But like the Warriors, without Draymond, like not getting not getting you know any love from the refs, and you know, and also like winning down the stretch like that after literally just about almost give, trying to gift this game back to the Grizzlies, like they have they're in the driver's seat, and I, I predict the Warriors Warriors probably in five like after this, so we'll see. I, I mean I picked the Warriors to win the title, and like you know, the heart of a champion. When you've won, when you've won a championship, and yeah, granted, like you know, a lot there's a lot of young guys. You have Jordan Poole, you have uh, Andrew Wiggins, and like those guys haven't been there yet. Gary Payton's not been there yet, but the core of the team is still intact. Even without Draymond out there, you still have Clay, you still have Steph. Those guys are killers, and like they've been there, and like they can, and like just being like in in that high stakes environment, it it hardens you in a certain way. And you are just more ready for the moments than the, this young Grizzlies team. They will get there at some point if they can like get to the finals and probably win, possibly win a chip. But like the, right now, the, the Warriors simply have the experience edge, and 
yeah, they kind of just outplayed the Grizzlies down the stretch, and we'll see how this series goes. I, I say Warriors in five. Uh, last thing I want to talk about, um, this just happened. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure, let me check real quick. I'm pretty sure the Phoenix Suns just waxed the, uh, waxed the uh, Mavericks. Let's check the score. Oh, yeah, they destroyed. Well, well it was a closer game than I thought, but... Like, um, yeah, I'll just quickly talk about this. The, the Jay Crowder dick kick on Luca, Like, that is some... That is... Like, talk about reminiscent of Draymond. Like, that... What, why do you kick your legs out like that? Like, that, that is... Honestly, that should warrant a suspension, the way he kicked his leg out. Like, first of all, that's an offensive foul. And you and you hit him in the dick. And the, the way he hit him in the dick. He shot the shot and literally kicked his knee for some reason up into the crotch of Luca. That was actually almost impressive. Yeah, he, he's been hanging around Chris Paul too much with that kicking and like this is this is just as bad as Draymond randomly just flailing and kicking kicking up Steven Adams straight in the balls like in that in uh, in the Western Conference Finals like all that many years ago. And uh, also, I feel like there's a bit of a mis- misremembering of what actually happened. Draymond should have been suspended for that. They didn't suspend him because they didn't want the Warriors to go down 3-1. He ended up being terrible in Game 4 anyways. And that helped him ultimately came back to haunt them because they got him suspended for Game 5 of the Finals after getting into a weird slap fight with LeBron. Like, so... It's just, I guess, a little misremembrance when people say, like, oh, that got him suspended for Game 5. No, that's not what got him suspended. That's Again, that led to something down the line. But anyways, the, 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 yeah, the kick from Jay Crowder, that should get him a suspension. I'm sorry. Like, that is terrible what he did. Okay. Um, that's all I have uh, on my note sheet. Um, yeah, so I'll be, co- well, we'll hopefully... Uh, I'll be coming back with Fong on the next episode, and we can finally talk about the, you know, the lottery picks and the draft, and get his get some of his thoughts on the situation uh, with the playoffs and the coaching situation as well. Because I am eager. I haven't talked to him actually since uh, since he went on vacation. So like, I love I love to get some of his thoughts on it. Like, I love to get some of his thoughts on Mark Jackson, and you know the other guys. And yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, hopefully, he will be back in week. You know, we can bring our voices back into your ears. So, uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Uh, did get a little rambly, I- I've realized, but um, that's what I do. So, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll catch. You- I'll catch you guys back on the next one, and hopefully, we're fine.